Shelley Schlender. And I'm Kendra Kruger. This is How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. Today is Tuesday, October 4th, 2016. Coming up, we'll learn about the science of growing food sustainably through permaculture and a weekend workshop. And we'll, and we'll talk with a medical doctor about this year's Nobel Prize in Medicine for the Science of Autophagy. We begin with a look at upcoming events in science. For fans of CU Boulder, next week's homecoming celebrations will include honors for three former CU engineering students who have made major contributions in science and the local community. Kathy Toby has gone on to become vice president and general manager of Lockheed Martin Special Programs line of business. Gary Anderson used to drive a forklift to pay for CU engineering school. He went on to be a leader in computer science, first at Honeywell, then at Storage Tech. Then there's Nathan Seidel, class of 2014. As a student, Seidel ran a dorm room experiment involving Lego-like buildable robots. These experiments morphed into SparkFun Electronics, a Boulder-based company that offers tools, hardware, and guidance for artists, engineers, and hobbyists. The company employs more than 100 fellow geeks, as Seidel puts it, making $30 million from customers worldwide. These three engineers are being honored both for their achievements in the professional world and for the mentorship they offer science students at CU. On October 13th, these three engineering grads will be at CU during homecoming for the Alumni Awards Ceremony. This Wednesday, you can join a lunch program at Boulder's Highland City Club that will feature Dr. Fran Baginal as she talks about NASA's New Horizons mission to Jupiter. Dr. Baginal is professor of astrophysical and planetary sciences at the University of Colorado Boulder and is co-investigator and team leader of the plasma investigations on NASA's Juno mission to Jupiter. Instruments on board the Juno spacecraft will probe Jupiter's deep interior and measure the amount of water, a key component of solar system evolution. In addition, Juno is the first spacecraft to fly over Jupiter's aurora and will measure both the energetic particles raining down on the planet and the bright northern and southern lights they excite. Find out more at the Boulder Highland City Club website. And this weekend, check out the Denver Permaculture Guild's annual workshop taking place this Saturday and Sunday. The Denver Permaculture Guild's mission is to build a more just, resilient, and ecologically robust Denver. And we'll hear more about the Permaculture, Permaculture Guild in our next segment, so stay tuned. You're tuned to How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. I'm Shelley Schlender. And I'm Kendra Kruger. And Kendra, let's list some of the hats you wear in your life. You're a KGNU volunteer, you're an electrical engineer, and you're on staff at the Denver Permaculture Guild and have helped to organize this weekend's permaculture workshops. That's right. So, so tell me, what is, the, what is uh, the goal of the Permaculture Guild? And also, can you introduce your guest today? Yes. So the Permaculture Guild is a nonprofit organization, and we're about developing programming in basically sustainable agriculture and communities, because permaculture is kind of this idea of 
of moving from the sustainable movement into a more regenerative way of thinking. So how are we creating systems that are interdependent, that are supporting each other, and where there is ultimately no waste in the system? So that we're not taking, not taking too little, but actually just helping to heal the systems. You know, Kendra Kruger, I think that we hear about this in natural systems, such as in a big forest, an old growth forest, there are things that the trees are doing with the fungus and the animals there and everything else so that the soil is actually building up instead of going and being depleted and where the nutrients are being evened out and even the water, the water becomes more evened out so that the whole system has a balance going on that sustains this thing That's right. called life. Every, every element has a different niche that it plays, a different role. And that's kind of in this idea of creating a guild also. So in, in the forest environment, in the, in the ecological environment, every, every element has a has piece to play, a niche to play, where a certain need is met with a resource. And so we're trying to actually mimic that both in teaching these ecological patterns, but also doing it in our communities as well. Oh, so it's taking the ideas that the scientists have been learning about places like forests and saying, how can we do this in our own backyards? That's right. How can we in in our backyards, you know, form systems where the water is is flowing in a way that's more optimized in a way where we're building soil and where the, the outputs are really serving us in better ways and that we're interacting with it in a more conscious and mindful way. All right, Kendra Kruger, this is a science show. So what is the science that people can learn about at the workshop that's happening this weekend? Yeah, so there's a lot of great stuff happening this weekend, uh, including stuff about water and and other soil and plant building stuff. I've actually got Tonita Young here. She's one of the board members of the Denver Permaculture Guild who can tell us a little bit more about the programming happening. Yes, welcome, Tonita. Go ahead and tell us what brought you into the interest with permaculture and what the programs are. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, permaculture is... Um, a design process that, as Kendra said, is looking for the, the patterns in nature. And uh, I have an Australian background, and that's kind of where the, the term was coined. Permaculture has uh, a lot of focus on what is natural, and um, it is a lot of observation over many, many years from many different cultures. And it's kind of wrapped up together. This weekend, um, some of those things that we're doing, um, we are looking at compost tea bubbler. Mm -hmm. So that is a method of using compost and then aerating it to uh, really activate the organisms in order to create a natural fertilizer. Well, that is intriguing because some people who are gardeners have told me that the kind of compost that you get, if you just go buy compost, it may be dead compost because even though it has been degraded into good stuff by microbes, it has gotten so hot that the microbes in it are dead. And actually, soil tends to be healthier if there are microbes in it that are cooperating with everything else that's happening. Correct. It's an entire city, if you will. And uh, certainly having all of that interaction uh, makes the, the soil alive, right? And so compost tea helps feed the soil that exists. 
Speaking of alive and different ecosystems and mixtures and cities of organisms, uh, there's also going to be a fermentation and probiotic class that's happening part of the weekend. And one of our uh, great community entrepreneurs from Five Point Fermentation, Asia Dorsey, will be teaching this workshop on really what is the science behind fermentation and how can we make our own water kefirs and, and, and probiotics at home. Well, let's step back. What is fermentation? How is fermentation different from baking or just letting something spoil? Oh my goodness, let's see if, if I can get the real science behind it. Um, so fermentation is kind of the, the process of uh, a, a uh, yeast and bacteria. Yeah, you, you, the, where the, you're kind of, you're cultivating a, a whole ecosystem within uh, a certain type of food. So lots of like pickling and um, different uh, kombuchas where you're you're utilizing yeasts and different microorganisms to create healthy environments healthy uh, materials and elements and vitamins that are good for your guts and good for your um, your your microbiome and biota. You know, we think of food as something that we just eat and it's ready to go. But it seems like there's a lot of food that actually benefits by having extra digestion happen with these experts in how to metabolize products called the microbes, whether they're fungi like yeast or whether they're bacteria and or other kinds of things. There's these strange things called archaea that may be part of it, which is a whole different family tree of life. And are you saying that the microbes that are used in fermentation aren't the ones that kill us? They're the ones that actually create byproducts that benefit us because there are microbes such as box botulism that you wouldn't want inside of you because they would kill you. But these microbes that help break down food in a friendly way are ones that actually can benefit us with all the byproducts that include vitamins? Yeah, like even yogurt, for example, has a lot of uh, a healthy probiotics within it that are, are, are part of the elements that are already in our gut system and are, uh, you know, we have all of these microbes on our skin and in different parts of our bodies. And they're just other collaborating elements, just like we were talking about all of the elements in the forest ecosystem that play a role. These are just another role player in the system. And they're one that can be part of our system. Our guts have more microbes in them than cells in our bodies, and most of them are beneficial to our whole body. So I guess it's a good thing. Now, how do you encourage people to go from just thinking about this to actually in their own backyard and in their own home doing this thing called permaculture? Well, at the Permaculture Guild, we have a number of workshops and classes that happen throughout the year. We also have something called a permaculture design certification course that's a six month long course that's one weekend a month for six months and it actually just started this past October uh, and we teach all of these different elements everything from uh, soil building rainwater harvesting uh, plant guilds perennial versus annual cultures uh, to community building alternative economics uh, is there anything I'm missing, Tonita? You throw it in. <laughs> I think you covered a lot of it. Yes, yes. It's a lot of full system design thinking. It sounds really intriguing, but like, how do you do it? Like, Tonita, where you live, are you doing permaculture in your own backyard in some way? 
Absolutely. Um, the design process includes the three ethics of permaculture, which are care for the earth, care for the plant, care for people, and share the surplus. It also uses 12 different principles, one of which, for example, is observation. And so in taking the course or, or looking at permaculture, you begin to observe and notice the natural patterns. Where does water collect? Where are there different plants growing? And how does that tell you about the soil? How does that suggest where, uh, where you could put certain plants? And also encourages you to find out more. For example, guild, the guild is often called companion planting. Uh, so how do, you, how do you plant together so that you get uh, happier plants, if you will? And um, so and, that and, helps. And by the way, that term happier plants is starting to get a little more scientific in that there's more and more research that shows that plants respond chemically to their environment, to threats, to opportunities in a way that is communicating with other plants what's happening and also having them do some kind of, let's call it a thought process, where they are calculating what chemicals to release to reduce the chance of bugs predating on them and also to increase the chance that their neighbors who help them create the ecosystem will survive. So happy may not sound very scientific, but maybe it's starting to be that for plants. Thank you, Shelley. Absolutely. And uh, an, an example of the guild is nitrogen fixers. So one of the guild members, one of the plants fixes nitrogen for the other plants to be able to take in more easily. And as you mentioned, having some plants that attract beneficial insects through their pheromones or um, bringing, uh, making bad insects go away or bringing them to eat them and not the plants that you want to harvest later. Okay, so I also hear in what you're saying that you're trying to explain this in ways that anyone can understand. You're trying to avoid scientific, very technical terms to make it more accessible to people of all walks of life. Yes. I'd say that, that also within the program, though, we definitely go more into the, the deeper scientifics talking about uh, the potassium, that what is it, the PK, NPK, elements that go into the soil, potassium, nitrogen, NPK, what's the other one? <laughs> they'll, they'll phosphorus. Be phosphorus. <laughs> <laughs> and so there will be a fair amount of scientific background for people who want to have that. Is this for people to, if, uh, if people can't come to the conference, by the way, is, is the Permaculture Guild someplace people can go for finding experts who can explain this process to them, whether they're wanting to set up some plants in their kitchen to grow or someplace in their backyard? Most definitely. We have uh, a member-based nonprofit, and we've got about 160 members, which means we're building this whole network of experts and collaborators, people who have different skills, and we're all about how do we share these skills with each other. So if you come on board, it's all about you know, sharing what do you have to offer to, to this community and how can you find uh, something that's going to meet your needs from this community also. So citizen scientists interested in plants and actually animals and how they can combine in a harmonious way for the food we eat and making a good environment, this is a workshop you might be interested in. When is it happening and where? So the main part of the event start off on Saturday, Saturday morning at 9 a.m. Uh, it's all going down in Denver, which is at a place called Green Spaces. The registration will be happening. 
and uh, all throughout the day we'll be at green spaces and then some other urban farms moondog community farms and seeds of power community farms in the area as well many places to go to find out about this what is the website for this and um how does somebody become involved with the guild itself the website is denverpermacultureguild.com and it has information both on the confluence the workshops happening this weekend as well as how to become a member and uh with the workshops this this weekend, as Kendra said, starting at Green Spaces and then continuing with inside activities as well as outside activities, as well as a kids program. Well, good. So no matter what the weather, there'll be something for all ages there at the Permaculture Guild. And good luck with this program. It sounds very intriguing. Thanks for explaining about that Denver Permaculture Guild. I'm Shelley Schlender. I've been speaking with my co-host Kendra Kruger, who's on staff with the Denver Permaculture Guild and with... Tonita Young. Tonita, thank you again for joining us. My pleasure. Um, the Permaculture Guild is holding its annual workshop this weekend. Their mission is to build a more just, resilient, and ecologically robust Denver. tuned to the KGNU Science Show, How on Earth. I'm Kendra Kruger. And as one more look at science this morning, the Nobel Peace Prize in Medicine has just been awarded to Japanese scientist Yoshi Nori Oshumi for his discoveries about a process inside your cells known as autophagy. This explains how a cell cleans house by recycling unessential components, either for food or for building blocks. Mutations in autophagy genes can cause cells to keep fixing themselves up and living too long. Think cancer cells. Conversely, problems that get in the way of autophagy can lead cells to die too soon, such as in the neurological diseases of Parkinson's and Alzheimer's. The winner of this year's Nobel Prize in Medicine was not available to discuss autophagy with us. However, Shelley Schlender did speak with a medical doctor who has been studying autophagy for well over a decade. His name is Ron Rosedale, and here's their conversation. Ron Rosedale, how long have you been studying autophagy? Well, I think I gave my first talk on autophagy over 10 years ago. What is autophagy? Autophagy, let me just mention that this goes way back in evolutionary times, even to single-cell organisms. And autophagy is normally talking about single cells when they are nutrient-deprived, they will actually eat parts of themselves, but they choose the parts that are most damaged. And that's really the benefit of it. It not only then provides nutrients for the cell when there aren't any available from the outside, but it also then gets rid of junk from the inside that then gets recycled into useful parts. Is this like when I have trouble with my house getting too messy and instead of buying a new sofa, I clean out closets and tidy up and find a way to use what I already have? Uh, yeah, you know, very much. We know that there are many diseases in which the cause is due to piled up garbage. 
aging itself is considered at least partially due to that. It's imperative that we get rid of that garbage. You know, if you never got rid of garbage out of your house, it really wouldn't be a very good household. It's important to get rid of junk. Better yet, not just to dispose of it, but to reuse it. Autophagy is typically triggered by nutrient deprivation that triggers nutrient sensors that trigger kind of a central switchboard called TOR, or the mammalian target, or now called the mechanistic target of rapamycin. It's essentially a complex of enzymes that reads the availability of nutrients such as glucose or protein and other nutrient sensors such as insulin and insulin-like growth factor and then uh, makes a decision whether there are enough nutrients available, for instance, to replicate or whether there are not enough nutrients available such that autophagy ought to be triggered. Then there are other things that can trigger it too such as hypoxia, when, when there isn't enough oxygen, there's something called HIF, which is hypoxia-inducible factor that can trigger mTOR also. Okay, so it can be a reduction in oxygen, it can be a reduction in food, which is different from a complete shutoff of oxygen or food. It's more like the body saying, oh my gosh, there's just barely enough here, we'd better make do with what we've got, as opposed to suddenly, suddenly being totally without oxygen. If a cell has the chance, of course, it would rather heal. But if there's a sudden and severe loss of nutrients or oxygen or exposure to radiation or what have you, the cell is not then allowed even to undergo these repair mechanisms and it'll just die. Perhaps not even through apoptosis. And there's the other way that a cell can die, which is the traumatic death of a cell called necrosis. Yes, necrosis is more like kersplat. Yeah, it's more of a worst-case scenario because that necrotic cell then will kind of let loose lots of harmful secretions that will injure the neighboring cells and perhaps allow them to go into apoptosis, if perhaps even necrosis, if it's very sudden. Um, so necrosis is really the kind of the worst-case scenario where the cell really doesn't have time to do anything that would you know, minimize the damage. So necrosis is more like if a bomb went off in your house or if the propane tank underneath your house exploded, then that could not only destroy your house, but it could end up causing the other houses nearby to go on fire or be damaged by hurtling bricks. Who knows? But that's more like necrosis. Apoptosis is more like somebody shutting down their house and doing a controlled demolition of it. Autophagy is more like recycling in the house and continuing to live there and mow the lawn. Yeah, autophagy is a, is a very healthy process. You're actually better off with autophagy than without it. All cells have some damage, and they've shown when you increase autophagy, you actually extend lifespan. It's, uh, autophagy is, is a necessary process to, let's say, extend life using calorie restriction, for instance. Well, in the news reports about the 2016 Nobel Prize winner for medicine, Yoshinori Oshumi, who has done a great deal of research on autophagy, the quick summary of the news reports is maybe what he is learning and discovering will help us make some new drugs to target the process of encouraging bodies to be more in autophagy for reducing Parkinson's disease or amyloid plaques in Alzheimer's. 
the connection between, let's say, autophagy and Alzheimer's and Parkinson's and Huntington's Korea also are considered to be autophagic diseases. The research on this is quite well known in research circles. I don't think it's going to be any, like, all of a sudden, you know, over, overnight you know, revelation that's going to lead to any great reductions in you know, certain of these diseases. Um, however, I think the Nobel Prize is well given for this subject. Autophagy is perhaps one of the most important biological processes that hardly anybody knows of. So the fact that research is ongoing, I think, is great if they can control it. The problem is, which is the major problem in health and medicine in general, is how to turn it on at certain times and at certain places. In other words, how to orchestrate it. Because you can't just turn it off and you can't just turn it on. You want to do it only when it's needed at certain times and in certain places. In cancer, for instance, if cells do not go through apoptosis if they're cancerous, meaning the program cell death, and instead turn that off and just do autophagy, meaning that if they're damaged, they basically come back from the dead. One of the ways that cancer supplies itself with nutrients so that it can keep dividing is through autophagy. And so just increasing autophagy to get rid of cancer is not going to work either. Again, it has to be properly orchestrated. What do you think is the best way so far that we've seen to be properly orchestrating autophagy so that it works in our benefit when we have cells that the body needs to keep going? Although protein is a required nutrient, you have to eat some. Eating a, a higher than necessary protein diet will increase TOR and reduce autophagy. Conversely, if you just eat the minimal amount of protein that your body requires, which usually is maybe three-quarters to a gram of protein per kilogram of lean mass per day. For most people, that's maybe 50 or 60 grams of protein a day. Then you will keep TOR under control. You'll keep it lower than it otherwise would be. And if you keep it lower than it otherwise would be, autophagy is increased when it is necessary. And is it increased across the board? Does that mean that cancer cells are more rambunctious as well? if protein is decreased or kept at a, a low level as opposed to a high level? You're reducing TOR, you're reducing the stimulus for cellular division, which obviously impacts cancer a lot. One of the best ways to keep mTOR low is to reduce your protein intake. Well, then we should have great thanks to the Nobel Prize winner givers for recognizing the work of Yoshinori Osumi in discovering how autophagy affects how we may want to treat disease. And while a number of these articles that are now appearing in the science news talk about how someday there might be a drug that controls autophagy, it's intriguing to know that right now, how people eat and live, they might be able to help the good autophagy happen while avoiding the detrimental autophagy. This is correct. Thanks to Shelley for that report. Ron Rosedale is a medical doctor who is a fan of autophagy. I think I got it right that time. We'll provide an extended version of that interview on our website later today. That's all for this edition of How on Earth. Our executive producer is Beth Bennett. Today's show was produced by Shelley Schlender and engineered by 
myself and her. Our theme music was written and produced by Josh Cutler and additional music from Remixes from Space. Visit our website at howonearthradio.org to find past episodes, extended interviews, and you can subscribe to our podcast through iTunes, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Questions or comments, call the KGNU comment line at 303-447-9911. For How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show, I'm Kendra Kruger. <laughs>